0: You have a Bible. Open up to Galatians chapter two. Galatians chapter two, going to be in verses eleven through sixteen this morning. Galatians chapter two, verses eleven through sixteen. When you have your Bible open there, I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me out of reverence for the reading, the words of our God. Let's stand together. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 11. But when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas, even Barnabas, was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to, to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Let's pray together. Our Father, I, I ask you, if you would, please open our hearts today to receive your word. And God, I pray we would be changed by it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our world seems to be, and in fact, I think it may be, overrun with division. It feels like everywhere you turn, everywhere you look, folks are divided. And uh, you, you you may be divided at home over some issues. Um, Saturdays in the fall are hard at our house. My wife went to Alabama, and I'm an Auburn fan, but I went to the University of Mobile. So, I, I'm, I'm, I'm treated like the Gentiles were with Peter. Uh sit at my own table I didn't even go yeah I didn't even go to the school I pull for you know she really pulls rank on that in fact over the years we would say things like I would say well can't the kids have some Auburn clothes too and she would say well they can have all the University of Mobile stuff you want them to have (laughs) they can wear all that you want our world does seem overrun with division though it's difficult then for some of you and I even heard this week from some of you that said it's almost hard to open up today to galatians chapter 2 the bible i don't know you might be like me that our church and the scriptures about the only thing we've got to cling to these days and then you open up the bible and look here's more division in fact the apostles are disagreeing with one another peter and Paul, of all people and yet i think this is preserved not so that we can understand confrontation better but I think it's here so we can understand unity better. So we can understand what real unity is. So, so, so we can understand what it means to be united around the gospel and the gospel alone. Because here's the reality, guys we don't believe in superficial unity. You know, we're not united here around wearing ties or having beautiful music or having a certain type of preaching. We're not united around those sorts of things. We're not, we're, not, we're not united around having a certain sort of culture. We are united. Christians are united. I want you to hear me so carefully in this. Our unity is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. Otherwise, it's just superficial unity. Anybody can get, a, get together about worldly stuff. You know, there are people who go to parks and pretend to play video games in real life and... There's all kinds of stuff people find unity around, you know? Don't you do that, Cole? I think you do that kind of thing sometimes. (laughs) There's all kinds of things to find unity around, right? No, we're united by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're united around. That's where we find our unity. And sometimes we have to confront, publicly even at times, the ugliness of sin in order to keep a firm grasp on the gospel. We don't believe in superficial unity. We believe in authentic unity. So many churches today are in a mess. And our collective witnesses, witness as churches is in such a mess right now because over the years, Christian people have found it to be more advantageous and easier when somebody commits some heinous sin in their church. Even sometimes some churches, they'll have people on their staff commit horrible sins against children or women or whatever else. And they felt like superficial unity was to be prized greater than authentic confrontation of the ugliness of sin. And a text like this helps us see where our unity is truly found. I I want you to confront the sin in your own heart today and to be sure that you're not falling into the trap that Peter and Barnabas fell into, I want this text to warn you and prepare you to reject and to run from and to flee the temptation of works. Now, most of you are ready to fight the temptation of sin. Most of you know that the devil is crouching nearby and his desire is for you, as the Lord told Cain. Many of you know, as Peter said elsewhere, probably reflecting on his own life, that Satan prowls around seeking whom he may devour. And all of us, almost to a person, especially us good Baptist folks, and most bad Baptist folks know better too, they, they say, we think, we think, if I can only stay away from the bad stuff, I'll be fine. But there's a temptation, my friends, in another direction. There's a temptation to find your righteousness somewhere besides the gospel. You might be tempted by works. I hope you'll see these three truths today, and it'll help you cling to the gospel and the gospel alone. Let me show you a few things from this text today. Here's the first point this morning I want you to see as we think through the temptation of works. All Christians, first of all, are tempted by works. All Christians are tempted by works. Notice what happens in 11 and 12, when Peter or Cephas came to Antioch Paul says he 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 certainly doesn't bury the lead. He tells the story in the first verse. He knows, we know where he's going. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Now the men who came from James, we don't know for sure that they're part of the circumcision party. We don't even know for sure that James sent these men. In fact, elsewhere, uh, uh, James talks about people who went in his name. Now, it seems like Paul's saying these people came from James. Maybe these are just people who have come from James's church. They've come from Jerusalem, and he kind of knew the connections they had, and it made Peter a little nervous. He starts to shrink back a little bit. I think he was tempted by works. What do I mean by that? If we're going to talk about it all morning. I guess I should define it. Here's here's how I'm defining being tempted by works. It means that you're tempted to place yourself or others under the law rather than under grace. Simply put, it's really essentially being tempted by works is the temptation of legalism. Now, that doesn't mean that it's a temptation to feel like you want to be obedient to Jesus. I hope, okay, let me get this out there, everybody, okay? I hope you'll be obedient to Jesus, okay? Okay? I know that's not controversial for your pastor to say that, but I hope you'll obey Christ. So what we're not talking about here is that there's no objective obligations morally for Christians. There are. You are under the grace of Jesus. You've been transformed by the gospel because you are a son of God, because you've been adopted, because you're a daughter of the living God. You've been adopted into His family. That means that you ought to obey Jesus because of the grace you've received. That's different than a works-based understanding of salvation. A works-based understanding and being tempted by works is to start to think that being under the law rather than under grace is how we're justified before God. That we can earn God's favor. Or it's also the error of thinking once God saved us through the gospel in order to stay in His favor, we need our righteousness to be rooted in works of the law rather than in the finished work of Christ. And here we see Peter was drawn into this behavior. Peter had learned from a revelation of the Lord that all foods were clean, and therefore also that Gentiles were clean if they received Jesus by faith. There's no inhibition, there's no prohibition against dining with Gentiles. Now, according to the law, Jews would have been ceremonially unclean for sharing a table with someone who was unclean, therefore a Gentile. So there seems to be a group of people. Now, I don't think this is something James was promoting, but maybe people who came from James or maybe the circumcision party isn't associated with James at all, but, but Peter's just afraid they'll find out through James's men that Peter has been living like a Gentile. He's been eating at the table with Gentiles because of the grace of Jesus. And Peter was tempted by works, and he found himself placing himself and others under the law rather than under grace. And when Jews came in, he would no longer dine and eat with the Gentile Christians. Now, why is this such a problem? What is it that's such an issue? Does it really matter? I mean, do we, do we have to... Is this middle school where we have to really sit down and think about the lunch tables like this? No, it's not that. It's that what Peter is communicating to the Gentiles is twofold. One, that the righteousness that you have in Christ is insufficient. The righteousness you have in Christ is insufficient. You need another level of righteousness by adhering to this law in order to be fully righteous. And then therefore, the second thing he communicated to them was this. You are therefore second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Now... This starts to make you understand why Paul was so worked up about this, doesn't it? This isn't just about that, but what is Peter saying to the Gentiles? I, I actually think this is precisely the reason why the Lord Jesus turned over the money tables in the temple. Y'all remember this story? It's because those money tables to be set up in the temple weren't set up in the place that was appointed for Jews to worship Do you know this about the temple, that there's what's called the court of the Gentiles in the temple, and that was a place where Gentiles could come worship the Lord, a place of prayer? And so these people, in order to help the Jews worship better, set up money tables so that they could purchase their sacrifices, and where it seems as if they were set up was in the court of the Gentiles. The Lord Jesus went in very angry and frustrated with them. I don't think it's simply because they were providing a service for Jewish worshipers, it was because they were providing a service for Jewish worshipers at the expense of the Gentile worshipers, the God-fearers. And here Peter is doing that which so incensed our Lord, excluding a certain breed, a certain class of worshiper. Now I hope this troubles you that Peter would do this. Peter! But Peter's my favorite apostle by far. Do you know why? Because I see myself in Peter a lot. Peter spends half the Gospels with his foot in his mouth. I now mean, that's a guy I can relate to. One minute, you know, he's the precocious guy who's answering the question correctly. The next moment, he's being rebuked and called the devil by the Lord Jesus himself. And I say, that's my kind of guy. The kind of guy that decides, you know what, I'm going to fight this battle tonight. Let me get my sword out. I'm going to lop this guy's head off. And then he only cuts off his ear. That's Alexander. That's Peter. I relate to Peter, so I'm troubled by him doing this. Especially after he's been restored by the Lord, after denying him. But I don't want you to only be troubled by the fact Peter's drawn into this behavior. In fact, I think maybe the opposite should be true for most of us here. I think we should be encouraged. Because I think every Christian, all Christians, are tempted by works, even the apostle Peter. Even Peter made a mistake. Aren't you grateful that the Scriptures don't lionize those who went before us? Even the apostles didn't have their records scrubbed clean in the pages of the Bible, but instead it gives us an honest assessment of all of them, their sin and all. And I think Peter's got more recorded sins than any apostle, more problems shown about him than any apostle, and he seems to be esteemed as the greatest of the apostles in their lifetime. This is another way the Bible weans us off works. Don't you see what God's doing? Don't you see the way that God's warning you against the temptation of works? If your righteousness is found in your ability to do right and to obey the law and even to obey Jesus out of grace, don't you see the way that even the Apostle Peter couldn't do it? What makes you think you can? Abraham couldn't do it? What makes you think you can? Moses couldn't do it? What makes you think you can? Mighty king david couldn't do it what makes you think you can only one character in all the bibles presented as perfectly righteous our lord jesus christ don't think for a moment you're immune to wanting to pursue righteousness by works second of all not only are all christians tempted by works but second of all you've got to be careful not to work your way out of the gospel Now, I don't mean to say, don't don't, don't mishear me, I don't mean work your way out of salvation. But what I mean, though, is to stop walking in step, as Paul says, with the truth of the gospel. Now look, verses 13 and 14. And the rest of the Jews with Peter, after Peter drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, the rest of the Jews, verse 13, acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct, listen to what Paul says, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Because of the pressure from these legalists, Peter had changed his behavior and scandalized the Gentile believers. And there in Antioch, Paul confronted Peter, and rightfully so. Because what Peter had done has become so focused on works, on keeping the law, so to speak, that he had worked his way out of walking in step with the truth of the gospel. Now, one thing that's strange about this passage and one thing that's strange about Galatians is we really never hear Paul say what happened with this confrontation between him and Peter. But if you read Peter's letters, he speaks favorably of Paul. You see the way that I I think many things that happen in the timeline of Acts after I believe this happened really clearly show a good relationship between Peter and Paul. I'm I, by faith, believe, based on some evidence in the Bible, that eventually Peter was even thankful for this confrontation. He was thankful for this confrontation. I think there's a couple of reasons why Paul went ahead and confronted him publicly. One, it more than anything, it had a public impact, especially on the Gentile believers. But second of all, Peter's hypocrisy had become contagious. It's one thing, right? It's one thing for these people to come from outside the church or even people who claim to speak on behalf of the apostles and tell Gentiles they need to be circumcised or trouble things like the ones in Galatia had done. It's another thing altogether for the apostle Peter to come and lead some of the Jewish Christians astray. And so Paul confronted Peter publicly. And I don't think he does it in a way that's mean-spirited or unkind or sub-Christian or anything like that. In fact, I think he's really direct and clear, and he's asking a simple question If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter's sin had caught hold, and Paul's dealing with it. How do we fight against this? How how do we fight against a works mentality? I'm at First Baptist Church. Somebody in here is struggling with works. It's like I tell folks sometimes out in the food line last, last year, somebody said, well, it's okay if we break the rules here i said Well, we're baptists but we're not that legalistic you know i used to kid with my church in kentucky all the time that they couldn't play cards and they couldn't dance but because it was kentucky they could smoke a cigarette or have bourbon i know some of you are keeping some laws and keeping some rules and not keeping others some of them that are made up some of them that man created Right? You are suffering with this temptation. I know you are. I am. I tell people all the time, I'm a recovering Pharisee. I'm, I'm wrestling to, to be addicted to the gospel and grace and not to works. How do we fight against it? Here's the first. I think the opposite of what Peter was doing is what we ought to do. We need to keep in step with the truth of the gospel. Now, it's one thing to receive the gospel by grace through faith, right? Once you've got it, you don't lose it, Okay? Once you receive the gospel by faith and you've been saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe you're saved. I don't think there's anybody that can snatch you out of the hand of the Lord Jesus because you're in His hand and His hand's in the Father's hand and I don't know who's going in there to get you. Nobody can. I think you're His once you're His. But there's a reality. Once we receive the gospel, there's a sanctifying lifestyle that we need to live. And here Paul alludes to it in a way that he says we need to walk in step with the truth of the gospel. Later in this very book, Paul alludes to this in another way when he talks about keeping in step with the Spirit. We walk in the truth of the gospel. Read the Bible. Think about the gospel. Learn about the gospel. Find good gospel centered resources. Ask yourself all the time where is my heart in this? Is it in grace, sonship driven? adoptive obedience to Jesus by grace through faith or am I just trying to prop up another law is is what I think is right and wrong even in the Bible or is this something I'm making up because you see we're so tempted to think that walking in the truth of the gospel means that we can add as much law as we want because God would rather us be more strict than less now we don't take away from what God's commanded us but my friends do you think it's a A lesser error to add to God's word than it is to take away? Either way, what you've got at the end isn't God's word. Both are wrong. Neither are walking in step with the truth of the gospel. You are not allowed to add to what God has said any more than you're allowed to take away from what God has said. Don't you see? Peter was walking outside the gospel according to the law, not according to the spirit of the age. Be careful. Read the Bible. Keep in step with the truth of the gospel. And then, second of all, reject the wrong pressure from man. Reject the wrong pressure from man. Do you see how Peter received the wrong pressure from man? These people come and Peter's afraid of them, and so he changes his behavior. So be careful with the pressure around you to be pressed outside the gospel. But third of all, find the right pressure from man. Because Paul's confrontation, I think, helped restore Peter. Where would Peter be without loving confrontation? Where would Peter be without accountability from the Lord Jesus Christ? Accountability from Paul. Where would he be without loving confrontation? Reject the wrong pressure from man, but find the right pressure from man. And walk in step with the truth of the gospel. Finally, here's our final point today. Not only are, are we all tempted by works, and not only do we have to be careful not to... Work our way outside the gospel, not outside salvation, but to start to live outside the truths of the gospel. We have to be so careful. But finally, we have to remember this. The gospel is the only answer to the temptation of works. Don't go home and think, I just got to work harder at this. No, look to Jesus and believe in what he's done. Paul, some some people, some scholars, we don't know. The original texts here don't have quotation marks in them. I mean, he forms of punctuation. So a lot of our punctuation work here is sometimes hard to know. Is Paul still talking to Peter here, or is he now talking to the church at Galatia? I'm not sure. But I want to connect these two verses back as a transition between verses 11 through 14 and then 17 through 21. These couple of verses really fit with both. So we're going to look at them today. Notice what he says. There's a chance he's still talking to Peter here. trying to be the best Baptist you can be. Or maybe some other denomination. Works-based law-keeping doesn't discriminate between denominations. Some of you may have been spending your whole life, you grew up in a charismatic church, and you think you're not saved because you've never manifested spiritual gifts. Some of you may have grown up in some other denomination. You know, maybe you, maybe you grew up in a very proper denomination and you raised your hand in worship one time and you think, well, I'm never going to heaven now. I don't know. I don't know how you've been tempted by purity, but Paul recognizes the way he and Peter were tempted by purity. Right? He, he recognizes the way he and Peter were tempted by your purity. He says it We're Jews by birth, we're not Gentile sinners. We know. In other words, Peter and I, we know where the law gets you. Peter says it later. Praise be to God. Acts chapter 15. He says, why would we put on these new believers the same yoke that we ourselves couldn't keep? Peter gets it. he, He knows the gospel. He understands the gospel. That's why Paul confronted him. Jewish purity doesn't save you. You can't keep the law. If you break one part of the law, you've broke the whole thing. And some of you feel that way. You felt the burden of that by growing up in the church. And you think, because I've not done all the things I'm supposed to do, because I was the black sheep. Or maybe you think, I've been the older brother who stayed on the farm the whole, my whole life. And I've done everything the right way. And yet, I still feel such a burden. It's still not there. I want you to know, Be free. Be free. Works of the law don't save you. They can't save you. Your purity, your pedigree, your heritage cannot save you. Do you see what Paul says? We know that a person is not justified. That is, they're not made righteous before God by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also... Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners, we also, just like them, have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I don't know how hard you've worked, but I promise you it's not enough. And it will never be enough. And some of you in this room right now might be enraged by hearing me say that. Because all that you've tried to build for your whole life is being flicked down right now by the Holy Spirit like a house of cards. Because what you realize is no matter how hard you've tried to build it, there is only one place whereby you may be justified, and that's through what Christ has built. That's through the righteousness that Christ provided who lived according to the law and under the law and was perfectly righteousness. Every single thing Jesus did delighted God because it exploded with righteousness before Him. Every single thing Jesus did was perfect before God and He took the punishment that you deserved in order that His righteousness might be given you by faith in Him. Works of the law don't work. You'll never be justified. Only faith in the finished work of Christ saves you. Right now, there are some of you who believe one day you'll pull it together enough and when you stand before God, you think, once I get there before Him, I'll be indignant if He doesn't let me into heaven because I know I've done all that I can do and I've acted as good as I can and I know it's got to be good enough for Him. Let go. Let go. Let go of your righteousness. Let go of your works. Chop to your knees and throw your arms around your Lord. Look unto Jesus. Trust Him. And be saved. Not only from your sins, but also from your works. Don't be tempted by them. Don't be tempted by them. Be drawn in by the grace of Jesus and respond to Him today in faith you may be a believer and you may say pastor i'm not walking in step with the truth of the gospel i need to repent of some things this altar is open for you you may be an unbeliever who's never trusted in jesus for the first time i'd love to talk to you this morning talk to you after church or you can just ask jesus to save you right there he may have already if you want to come tell me or if you want me to pray with you if you want to ask the question what must i do to be saved i'll be right here i can't wait to say hello I can't wait to introduce you to my Lord. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. What a joy it would be for me to talk to you about what it means to be a member of the family of God right here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I'd like to invite you to come. Let's pray together.